Well, hey, today we are going to talk about peace. I want to give some, um, give some context as a way of introduction into what the armor of God is all about. Pastor JP did a really great job of this the first week of, of boot up, but I want to take a step back, if you will, and, and give some context of why Paul is, is writing about the armor of God specifically to the church at Ephesus. Hence, we're in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Why, why, what's going on in the church at Ephesus that, that Paul finds it relevant to lay out to them the armor of God? What's going on in, in this church that Paul says, listen, you need the armor of God. You need, you need to put it on. Why don't we find it, for instance, in the book of Colossae or, or our book of Colossians to the church at Colossae or to the church at Rome or to the church at Philippi, but specifically to the church at Ephesus. And I think we get a, 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 an idea of that when we take a, a thousand foot view and we look at the book of Ephesians and what Paul is addressing. And one of the things that seemingly Paul is addressing when you read the entirety of the book of Ephesians, it's just six chapters, so it takes about 20 to 30 minutes to go through. We're not going to go through it today, even though that'd be good to do if you didn't prepare, just read a book of the Bible, right? But as you read the book of Ephesians, one of the things that you see is that Paul is addressing a, a mentality of lack, a mentality of lack. It, it's seemingly so that this church is facing a spiritual attack where they believe that God has not given them everything that God says, I've given you. That everything that they need from God to go throughout life, to fight the spiritual battles that they're facing, they don't believe that they have. For example, let me just give you a few examples. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, is as early as, as verse 3 in the book of Ephesians, here's what Paul says. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with, listen to this now, every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. And so he says, listen, you lack in nothing. You lack in nothing. Everything that God intends to give you, he has given you. God isn't holding back from you. God has given you every spiritual blessing. In verse 11, he says that you have received an inheritance. And then in three, verse, three verses later, in verse 14, he says that the Holy Spirit that you have is the guarantee of that inheritance. You don't lack in anything. In Ephesians 1.19, he says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, and we're going to hear this terminology today in Ephesians chapter 6, according to his great might. According to his great might. I'm going to give you just two more examples today. Can I do that? Two more examples. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is laying out the salvation that we have in Christ. The salvation that we have. And here's what he says. He says that he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show, listen to this word, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The immeasurable riches. So if you've got this idea that you can measure the riches of God that you have in Christ Jesus, you are mistaken. The riches that you have in Christ, they cannot be measured by some measuring rod or ruler. You have been immensely blessed in Christ. Immensely blessed in Christ. It's immeasurable. One more. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Paul says that I want you to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
So you can't put the love of God in this four, you know, wall box in your head and lay it out systematically. Rather, the love of God is, is so much different than that. It's, it surpasses knowledge. You don't understand it. You can't get it. It, it. it doesn't make sense. As we sing about, it's the reckless love of God. It surpasses knowledge that you may be able, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And then a verse we all know, now to him who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask or even think, to him be the glory. Come on, how many know that God has blessed us immensely, right? He's blessed us immensely. And so Paul wraps a bow on this. I want you to catch this. Paul wraps a bow on this, on this beautiful book in, chapter, in, in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, by laying out to them the armor of God. And what I want you to know today that the armor of God, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, the armor of God is not something that we lack in. It's not something that we lack in. It's not something that we have to go through spiritual boot camp, if you will. And then God, you know, he, he values, he, he looks at everything that we've gone through and he says, well, they did a pretty good job. I'll give them the, the armor of God. It isn't how it works. We lack in nothing. And so the armor of God that we've been hearing about and we're going to hear about, it is not achieved, it is received. Are you hearing me today? It is not achieved, it is received. Everything that is in the armor of God, you have as a result of being in union with Christ. Everything that is in the armor of God, you have as a result of being found in Christ Jesus. It is not achieved, it is received. So we have truth, we have righteousness, we already have peace. We're going to hear about that in just a second. We have faith, salvation, and the word of God. And so here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I think this is going to be on the screen. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. There it is again. His might. So no excuses of why we can't be strong. We're going to be strong. Well, I'm weak. God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to give you my strength. I'm going to give you my strength. Well, I, I feel disqualified. I feel like I can't do this. That's all right. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Amen. You're going to make it. We're going to the strength of his might. In verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, Paul says, just stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on. Here's week one. Pastor JP did such an amazing job with this. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. So we need the belt of truth because truth holds everything together. If we don't have truth, we don't have anything else. So put on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, we heard about this last week, the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness protects our heart. It's where everything flows. And then what we're going to talk about today in verse 15, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Today we're going to talk about peace. How many know that it is God's goal and it's God's aim to give us peace? Amen? It's God's goal, it's God's game to, uh, aim to give us to give us peace. And when we're talking about battle, there seems to be an obvious contradiction. 
When you go to battle, when you go to war, when you put on the, the armor of God, it's fun to talk about the belt of truth. Come on, I'm gonna put on the belt of truth or the breastplate of righteousness or the, the shield of faith or the helmet of salvation or the sword of the spirit. My wife, she just got done watching a show on, um, uh, you know, all these Vikings that were, had these, you know, uh, they go to war just all the time. And it was, you know, when they, when they went to war, they, they had, you know, it showed everything they had put on and they just looked triumphant. They were gonna come and they were gonna like, I hate to say this in church, they were gonna kill you, you know. They were gonna take you out. And so you, you've seen breastplates, you've seen swords, you've seen helmets, but nobody looked at the shoes. Nobody focuses on shoes. When you go to battle, when you go to war, I mean, you've got to have shoes, you know, but, but, but the focus is not the shoes. Nobody thinks about shoes. Unless you're my wife, you've got a whole closet full of shoes. And there seems to be a contradiction when we think about peace and battle. Those two things don't go together. When you go to battle, you certainly are not in peace. And when you have peace, you certainly aren't going to battle. And I believe that one of the things that God wants to do for us today is I want to reorient our thinking regarding peace. I want to reorient our thinking regarding peace. Because peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of conflict. Sometimes we have this idea that peace is just, you know, it's just we're having a good time. Nothing's coming against us. We're going to be all right. No, no, peace isn't the absence of conflict. Here's what I want you to know today. Peace is the presence of God in the midst of conflict. It's not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of God in the midst of conflict, which is to say that peace sometimes entails a battle. Peace sometimes entails battle. In other words, if you're going to have peace in your home, if you're going to have peace in your family, if you're going to have peace in your marriage, that means that you've got to fight off the things that want to come for your family, that want to come, come for your home. You've got, to have, you've got to fight off the things that are coming against you. Peace entails battle because we face a real enemy. Peace entails battle. And here's the main idea today. Here's what I want you to stick with you and remember is that peace isn't passive. Peace isn't passive. Passivity doesn't always equal peace. Peace doesn't look like the church of God just sitting around and doing nothing. Sometimes the peace of God looks like the church of Jesus Christ standing when it's hard to stand. Sometimes the peace of God looks like the people of God speaking when it's hard to speak. Peace isn't passivity. I love to learn about historical figures and people who stepped up in times of injustice and conflict and in trouble and showed courage and tenacity and all that good stuff. And, and one of those is a guy by the name of Winston Churchill. Come on, if you got the name Winston Churchill, you should do something amazing with your life. That is, that's a good name. If you don't know, most of you do know, but in, in the time that Winston Churchill stepped up to be the, the leader of, of Britain, Nazi Germany and Adolf Hitler was, was on the move, and they had taken over most parts, if not basically all parts, of, of Western Europe. And uh, the, the leader of, of Britain at the time was a guy by the name of Neville Chamberlain, and he was consumed, some might say, with fear. He was consumed with inactivity, with passivity, and he didn't want to do anything. He was consumed with, with we need to make peace. We need to make peace with 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 Nazi Germany so they don't overcome us, so they don't overtake us. And the people, rightfully so, became fed up with, 
with Neville Chamberlain, and they called upon a new leader, a new leader who was a little bit brash, who, who didn't have a filter. He didn't, he just spoke whatever was on his mind. One day he did something, the other day he just didn't do, you know, he just did something totally different. He was unpredictable. I'm not talking about Donald Trump. You guys knew where I was going. It was Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill stepped up in a time of conflict in the life of Britain. And, and, and Nazi Germany and Adolf Hitler was on the move. And who they had in their sights was Britain. Who they had, they had in their sights was the United Kingdom. And, and he was torn by two ends of the spectrum. On one end, there was people who were telling Winston, Winston, you've got to make peace. You've got to make peace. People in parliament say, we've got to have peace talks. We'll go through Italy, through Mussolini, which is a terrible idea. We'll make peace with these people. They're stronger than us. They're, they're, they're bigger than us. They have better technology than us. We can't fight these people. But on the other end of the spectrum, Winston Churchill was consumed with a conviction that we have to fight. We have to go to battle. And in a famous line, we actually don't know if he said this or not. I know because I, I Googled it. We don't know if he said this or not, but it makes for a good story. He said, you can't make peace with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. You can't make peace with an enemy when your head is in its mouth. Winston Churchill understood something that peace is not passivity. Peace is not passivity. And I believe that we live in a day and an age with the church of Jesus Christ. It is past time for the church to stand, for the church to speak. For the church to not give in to a form of passivity. To a form of passivity that would say, well, the best thing to do is to stay silent. And there certainly is a time for that. There's a time to stay out of the way. But this is not the time and this is not the hour. Peace is not passivity. If we're going to have true, lasting, and meaningful peace, it means putting on the armor of God and going to battle against the things that come to seek, kill, and destroy. Amen? Amen. Peace isn't passive. Peace isn't passive. Today I want to give you three obstacles to our peace. Three obstacles to our peace, that I believe if we're going to have lasting and meaningful peace in our lives, these are three things that we have to not be passive about, even though we had the temptation to do that sometimes, but we have to stand up and show tenacity and courage in the face of these obstacles. Here's the first one, three obstacles, three obstacles to our peace. The first one is this, the problem of sin. The problem of sin. This ought to be evident, but sin is a problem. Sin is a problem. Unfortunately, we live in a culture and in a society today that, that elevates values such as tolerance, acceptance, and approval to a place that stands antithetical to God's word. And, and the temptation of, of evangelicals, of the people of God, of us in this room, and it's a real temptation, is to give in to the culture, to give in to the culture when they stand in opposition to God's word. We, we, we see leaders all the time who, who will say such things such as, you know, God whispers about sexual sin, therefore we should whisper about it. Of course, this is insane. This isn't true. This isn't, this, this, this isn't true. Our negligence, our, our, our passivity regarding sin doesn't make sin any less of a problem. It is a problem. 
And I say this not, not, not that the church of Jesus Christ will stand up and go condemn the world. That certainly isn't the place. That certainly, that certainly isn't our purpose and our mission. If anybody knows this, this is church. It's full of grace. We're full of mercy and we're full of love. But as Pastor JP has said, if we're going to fight our enemy, we have to know what the enemy is. We can't discount the enemy. Sin is a problem. We're not just victims of the fall of Adam. We are active participators in the fall of Adam. We are sinful people. And sin is a problem. Perhaps no one knew this better than, I, than the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision when he's caught up in the heavens and he's surrounded by angels. And they are singing to God. And they're called the seraphim because they have six wings, two on their feet, two on their back, and two on their shoulders coming around, covering their face because they are not worthy to look upon the God that they worship. And the Bible says that they sing for eternity. And so they sing now. They sing now. And Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 6 that what they are singing, they are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. Notice that they are not singing love, love, love. They are not singing mercy, mercy, mercy. They are not singing grace, grace, grace. Let me just say this before I, you know, sound like the Pharisee. We believe that God is love. We believe that God is grace. We believe that God shows mercy. But the holiness of God, and I want you to hear this, the holiness of God is not one attribute among many attributes of God. The holiness of God is the one thing that describes everything else about God. Are you hearing that? The holiness of God is not one attribute among many attributes. Rather, the holiness of God is the one thing that describes everything else about God. If God is love, and of course he is love, he is a holy love. If God does show grace, it is a holy grace. If God does have mercy, it is a holy mercy. God is the God of holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah, when he encounters this God... And we ought to want to know what happens when you encounter the God of holy, holy, holy. We came today to, to encounter this God, to worship this God, to sing to this God, to, to hear about this God, to experience him. And here's what the Bible says when Isaiah encounters the God of holy, holy, holy. It says he falls to his face. And here's what he says. He says, woe is me. Woe is me. He is literally pronouncing a curse on himself. You'll know this from languages in the gospel where, where Jesus will look at the Pharisees, sweet, precious Jesus, look at the Pharisees and say, woe to you, O Pharisees, your whitewashed tombs. In Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he encounters the God of holy, 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 he becomes keenly aware of his sinfulness, of his inadequacy. And he says, woe is me, for I am unclean, for my eyes have seen the holy king. He is the God of holy, holy, holy. And at least one, one thing that should happen when we encounter the God of holy, holy, holy is that we are keenly aware of our sinfulness. Sin is a problem. But here's what I want you to know today is Isaiah pronounces a curse. He says, woe is me. When he gets to the New Testament, the Bible says that Jesus became the curse. Come on, he became the curse. He took our penalty. He took our shame. 
So there are two ways, there are two people in this room who, who deal with the problem of sin. There's a guy by the name of Timothy Keller who does a great job of pointing this out. There are two ways that we deal with the problem of sin. You have the irreligious way. You have the irreligious way. We look at the problem of sin. We see that it's a problem, and we just, we're passive regarding it. We ignore it. We don't have anything to do with it. I'll just, I'll establish my own way. I don't need God. That's the, that's the younger son in the, in the story of prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. I'll establish my own way. I don't need anybody I can do this myself. It's, 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 it's autonomy. It's self-autonomy. The word autonomy actually comes from two words, autonomos. The word nomos is law and auto meaning self. It's self-law. I'll rule myself. I'll do this myself. So you have the irreligious who deal with the problem of sin with, with a passivity saying, I'll just, I'll just do this on my own. But then you also have the religious way of doing this. Where, I, where I'll earn my way to having grace with Jesus, with having acceptance and approval with Jesus. Both are wrong because both focus on self. The answer to the problem of sin is simple. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Pastor JP just said last week, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Theologians call this the great exchange. He took our penalty. He took our curse. And we take his righteousness. We take his righteousness. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, since we have been justified. Since we have been justified. Two things I want you to notice. First of all, is that that justification is a legal term in which God declares his children righteous. He declares us righteous. The gavel of heaven falls. And as the gavel of heaven is fallen and we stand in the courtroom, Jesus steps in on our behalf and says, I will take the penalty. It's a legal term where God declares us righteous, but also I want you to know that it's something that has happened. Some people have, have, again, and this is due to passivity regarding the problem of sin, we have, we have a, a misconception regarding this as if our justification, our salvation, God's love for us, God's approval of us, God's acceptance of us is based on, on our performance in life. It's a process, and as we go through life and as we live up to what God declares in his word, then God justifies us. That isn't true. The Bible says, since you have been justified, Since you have been made righteous. In other words, God's declared you righteous and he hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't changed his mind. Since you have been justified by faith, the Bible says we have peace with God. We have peace with God. So if we don't have, if we want to experience peace in this life, it comes first Not being passive regarding the problem of sin, rather acknowledging the problem of sin and going to Jesus for the answer. Amen? Going to Jesus for the answer. Number two, the second obstacle that I believe that we need to face if we're going to have meaningful and everlasting peace in our life is the presence of a real enemy. The presence of a real enemy. And this is the context of Ephesians chapter 6. Pastor JP talked about this the first week with the belt of truth. We face a real enemy. You know, growing up, I, um, I grew up Pentecostal and charismatic. Lord, we had church for like three hours when we had church. And, um, you know, one of the things, we used to have testimonial services. And, and you know, you knew when the pastor didn't prepare to preach because we, we were going to pass around the mic and everybody testify. 
And would you look at that? Oh, just time's gut. I guess we need clothes. And, um, and so everybody would testify. And one of the things I would learn during testimonial services, and you think I'm kidding, I'm not, is, is, is that the devil is in everything. The devil's in everything. I used to learn that growing up. At, you know, if you had a flat tire on the way to work, it wasn't that you needed new tires. It was the devil. The devil's in my tires. It's funny, as soon as you got new tires, he was gone. He wasn't there anymore. If the sound system went, if something were wrong with the sound system, it, it, was, it wasn't that the sound guy didn't know what he was doing. It was, it was the devil. And he left as soon as you unmuted it, you know. And I, listen to me. I, I'm, I'm joking, and I still have a lot of family. But listen, I, there's, there's goodness in that. But one, it was a huge revelation for me to learn that the devil is limited in what he can do. He's limited in what he can do. He is not. Let me tell you something. Maybe you don't know this. He is not omniscient. He isn't omniscient. He isn't all-powerful. There's limits to what he can do. He's a created being. He is, not, he is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere at once. He's not in here and, you know, electing the next president. You know, he's, he's, he's limited in what he can do. He's limited in what he can do. Nevertheless, he's a real enemy. He's a real enemy that we face. Just the other day I was scrolling through. This, this is going to seem trivial, but I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway. I was scrolling through Netflix uh, trying to find something to watch. I had this message on my mind, and I was thinking about the presence of a real enemy, and I was scrolling through. And this is no joke. I mean, whatever. Who cares, really? But I was scrolling through Netflix, and just, there was like three shows and movies with like the word devil in it and Satan. I was like, what is up with all I, just devil this and Satan this. And I thought, goodness gracious, the devil's in everything. I was, I'm not joking. I was, um, just a few weeks ago, some of you will know that there was a song that came out. And, I, and you know, it's, it's humorous, but there was a, a young guy, an artist, who, 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 who came out with a song. And here, here's the real tragedy. It's not so much that he sang the song, but he, he, marked, he markets his songs to children before he did this. And he, and he sang a song celebrating the glories of hell. And this is, this, is, this is obviously terrible stuff because we face a real enemy. We face a real enemy, and he comes to seek, kill, and destroy. And if the temptation of, of the older generations was to dis, just see the devil in everything, he's in the flat tire, he's in the sound system, he's in everything, I believe the temptation today is to discount to the enemy. I believe we, we face a temptation to be passive regarding the presence of a real enemy. And so I believe we need to be prepared for an enemy who is out to seek, kill, and destroy. And especially our children, our kids. I don't know if it's, I just, I had a daughter and all of a sudden I've become keenly aware that there is, there is a purpose out to seek, kill, and destroy the next generation. And so I believe there's two things that we need to be prepared for. We can't be passive regarding this. And the first is this, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Here's what Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 6 says. This is, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. It's peace. If we want to have peace, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And secondly... We've got to face the presence of a real enemy. We do that by being filled with the Spirit of God, but we also do that by declaring the victory of the cross. Amen. Declaring the victory of the cross. Listen to what Paul says 
in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he did, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So that's the problem of sin. That's how we deal with the problem of sin. Our, our, our sin has been forgiven. Our sin has been canceled. But listen, if we stop there regarding what the cross did, if we stop with just the forgiveness of sins, we shortchange ourselves. God didn't just forgive us of our sins on the cross. Listen to this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. So listen to me. Not only do we have the armor of God, truth, peace, righteousness, the word of God, salvation. Not only do we have the, 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 the armor of God, which God has equipped us with, but we look at an enemy who has been disarmed. He's been disarmed. And he sees the children of God, the people of God, who've been equipped with the armor of God. And he goes to his arsenal, and there is nothing there because he has been disarmed. He has been disarmed. And so what does the enemy do? He lies. He is the father of lies. He lies, and the truth is not in him. And here's what he says. If, you, if I have no power, you have no power. You are not equipped he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. We have, been, we have faced an enemy who has been disarmed, and we have been equipped with the armor of God. He is defeated. He is defeated. So we can't be passive regarding the presence of a real enemy. We have to face the facts, face the truth. He's there. He's real. But he's been disarmed, and he's been defeated. Do you receive that? He's been defeated. Lastly, the third obstacle that we face regarding our peace, and I'm asking Amanda to come, and we'll close today, is that we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. He says, and it's shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And it's shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. My daughter, Ava Grace, um, I love her. She's also Pastor JP's granddaughter, so you hear a lot of stories about her. If you don't know my daughter, she actually, uh, if you want to know her, you just stay after service for about five to ten minutes. She's the girl who's running around here just like with a chicken with her head cut off. That's my girl. And um, listen, she has, she has two, two, two options. She has asleep and going 100 miles an hour. That's it. That's all she's got. And one of the things that she does when she's ready to go she, she brings her shoes to you, and she says, Daddy, bye-bye. Daddy, bye-bye. It, it doesn't matter if you're in the middle of watching a good movie. It's the best part. You're sleeping. When she brings her shoes to you, it's ready to go. It's time to move. She'll bring her shoes and say, Mama, bye-bye. Mama, bye-bye. Pop, bye-bye. Nana, bye-bye. It's time to go bye-bye. It's time to move. It's time to get up. We can't sit still anymore. And I think if anything that the church of Jesus Christ needs to be filled with, it is filled with a spirit of anticipation of what God is doing in our world. Anticipation of what God is doing in our world. We have been hindered for too long. And we can be passive regarding living in a fallen world. And I think one of the ways that we do that is we have an escapist mindset regarding our world. 
especially the past two years. You look at everything that's going on in the world and we think, well, Jesus is coming back. Look what happened. Jesus is coming back. This is happening. That's happening. An escapist mindset. And I, I, listen, I believe that Jesus is coming back. And I believe these could be the times. I'm not saying that it isn't. But what I am saying is that when I read God's word, I don't see a church that escapes as the world falls. I see a church that steps in, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the conflict. Here's what Jesus said. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, there's the word holy, holy be your name, set apart be your name, sanctified be your name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then here's what he says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Listen, we need less, I'll fly away, oh glory, Christianity, and we need more, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. We are not escaping to a kingdom. We are establishing a kingdom. We're establishing a kingdom. Romans chapter, 14, Romans chapter 14, verse 17, Paul says that this kingdom is a kingdom of joy, righteousness, and peace. Of peace. We've come to establish the kingdom of peace in our earth. I got news for you today. God isn't done with our world. God isn't done with our world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I didn't come in the world to condemn the world. But through Jesus, the world might be saved. We're not condemning the world. We're bringing salvation to the world. The kingdom of God doesn't come through revolution. You know how it happens? Regeneration. It comes through the people of God bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, if, if the answer to the problem of sin is Jesus, and the answer to the presence of a real enemy is being filled with the spirit of God, then the answer to a fallen world is the church of Jesus Christ. It's the church of Jesus Christ. He isn't done with our world. He isn't done with our community. And I want you to know today he isn't done with you. He isn't done with you. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes today? Lord, we thank you for peace. God, we thank you that you've given us peace. And that we have peace. It's not achieved. It's received. We have it as being a part of you. So Lord, I pray that we would realize this peace. We may face sin in our life, but where sin runs deep, grace runs deeper. We may have an enemy who is out to captivate our souls, but he's defeated. And he's been disarmed. And we may live in a fallen world, but there's hope because you've came to save the world. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would give us a tenacity. You would give us a courage to stand in the face of opposition. If you're here today with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, and listen, I want you to know today, just as I said a while ago, that God is with you. He isn't done with you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
you will be saved. You can have a peace, an everlasting and a meaningful peace. And I'm not going to make anyone lift a hand or do this or do that. It's not about lifting a hand. It's not about coming to an altar. It's, 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 it's about a, a prayer. But, but something about between you and God. And so if that's you, you can just say something like, Lord, I give my life to you. I want to experience the lasting and meaningful peace that you have. I repent of my sins. And I follow you, Jesus. And I give you my life. Lastly, I just want to say a, a prayer over our church and over our community. Lord, I pray that you would give our community peace. We live in a culture of death, in a culture where sin runs rampant. And the church of Jesus Christ has the tendency to, to escape and to be passive. Today, God, I pray that you would raise up the church of Jesus Christ. You would raise up the church of Jesus Christ, that we would put on the shoes of peace and that we would be ready to bring peace where there is no peace. We would be ready to bring justice where there is no just, where there, where there is injustice. I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, everybody said. Amen. Amen. Come on, give me Jesus a shout of praise today. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet today. You received that word today, church? Amen. Well, hey, I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come before we dismiss our prayer teams to come. If you'd like prayer for anything, we'd love to stand and pray with you. We're going to have um, communion right over here to my right, to your left. we take communion with you. Hey, I love you, church. We hope you have a great week. The Bible says, Lord, bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. This Wednesday night, we're going to have our 630 Bible study and our students just right on the other side of the building. We love you, church. Have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.